Hi, it's Melissa Moore, and welcome to Mile High Magazine on this Sunday. Maria Trujillo with the Colorado Human Trafficking Council is our guest this morning. Maria, good morning. Thank you. Good morning to you. Well, let's talk first because we're here to talk about human trafficking. Explain for folks who maybe aren't really aware of what that means, what exactly is human trafficking? Yeah, thank you for that question. Human trafficking is the exploitation of another person through the use of force, fraud, or coercion for some type of labor, including commercial sex acts. Human, okay. human trafficking um, consists of the denial of someone's human rights to freedom and basic di- dignity. Many people don't understand the full scope of human trafficking, which is why it's so important to get the public aware about human trafficking and who's vulnerable to this crime. Well, and that's a great segue into my next question. Who is vulnerable for human trafficking? Yeah, uh, many people are vulnerable to this crime, and those vulnerabilities really run the gambit. It could be someone who comes from an unstable family environment. It could be someone who experiences um, unstable housing situations, someone who is just looking for love, attention, and affection and is not getting it from their family, friends, or peers, or someone who's just looking for a better job and a better life to support their families um, in the country that they're from or if they're here from the United States. So there's so many different vulnerabilities that lead someone to potentially be a victim of this crime. Well, and I think a lot of times we hear human trafficking and sex trafficking commingled and going together, but that's not always the case, is it? Exactly. So many people believe that human trafficking and sex trafficking are synonymous, that they're the same thing. And when in fact, human trafficking encompasses both sex and labor trafficking. So there's lots of people who are involved in sex trafficking, as well as people who are involved in labor trafficking so that they're forced to work as a domestic um, servant in someone's home or working in a nail salon or working in a restaurant or in construction. There's lots of different ways in which labor trafficking um, shows up in our community. And the other thing that's really important to understand is that I think a lot of people believe that uh, sex trafficking, or because they think it's only sex trafficking, that they believe only women and girls can be victims of this crime and that this is a woman and girl issue. When in fact, there are plenty of male victims of this crime, both in labor trafficking and in sex trafficking. You talked about a lot of different scenarios there. What about here in Colorado? Yes, unfortunately, it is a problem here in Colorado. And I've been, you know, we've the Colorado has established the Colorado Human Trafficking Council to address the issue in our state. And we have seen a number of sex trafficking cases being investigated by our law enforcement personnel across the state. Mm-hmm. And that includes both minors and adults and also um, males involved. And then our service providers have provided a lot, of, a lot of services to labor trafficking clients, primarily adult males and foreign nationals. So with the Colorado Human Trafficking Council, do you deal with labor and with sex trafficking? Absolutely. We really take a holistic response to the issue of human trafficking. And what is it uh, you were talking about here in Colorado, but specifically uh, like some of the cases, like what, where are the areas of vulnerability here in Colorado? Well, they're similar to everything else. Um, one of the cases that we've had here in Colorado was a male, um, sec- a male trafficker who lived in a beautiful suburb in Aurora who recruited male victims through dating apps. Uh, to who and they really uh, he really preyed on male victims who were maybe ostracized from their family because they um, you know because of sexual orientation or other issues that they didn't have a, a strong family 
life and family home. And so he preyed on that vulnerability of being ostracized and looking for a family and a place to feel supported and cared for and recruited these young men to live in his home and offer, you know, paid for everything, offered a roof over their head, food, things like that but in exchange for having sex with him and other clients that he brought to the home. Oh my God. And that was, and that was here. I mean, that's in one of the suburbs. That's, it was in Aurora. Yes. In a very nice suburb of Aurora. Yes, absolutely. And we had a labor trafficking case, for example, happening in Boulder several years ago in a Thai restaurant. You know, I actually just had Thai food yesterday. It's a place that, you know, a lot of people go um, to have dinner on a Sunday night or, whatnot. And this was a Thai restaurant that recruited Thai nationals. It was an owner who was a Thai national and recruited people from his home country to work at this restaurant in Boulder and never paid the individuals. They had to live in the place that he designated and they never got paid and they worked in really bad conditions. And so that's just two examples, one sex, one labor that are happening in communities that we all know. Yeah, it's heartbreaking and overwhelming at the same time to hear these stories and realize that this is happening in Colorado and in our neighborhoods. Absolutely. Some of the myths I know that we've talked about already about human trafficking is that, you know, it's the same as sex trafficking. It only happens to women or girls. We know that's not true. Um, And and one of the other myths that I wanted you to tackle was that human trafficking victims are usually foreign nationals. I know they can be, but that's not always the case. Is that right? That is correct. I think a lot of people might, might believe that human trafficking only affects immigrants and foreign nationals when, in fact, as I alluded into the story about the, you know, the trafficker in Aurora, he recruited U.S. citizens. Those were Mm -hmm. all U.S. males um, who understand the laws, but maybe they were also young and maybe naive um, and have other vulnerabilities, but they were U.S. citizens. So both U.S. citizens, um, legal permanent residents and foreign nationals that are in the United States are all vulnerable to this crime. Another myth is that the victims of human trafficking, whether it be sex or labor, can leave their situation whenever they want. Yeah, I think there's a lot of people who see trafficking victims as like as someone who's like, oh, well, you have your own cell phone. You go on these, quote, dates, like, on your own. And it's really similar to the power and control dynamics that happen in domestic violence. You know, a lot of people in the early stages, uh, in early ages of domestic violence, always were like, well, why doesn't the victim just leave? Like, mm-hmm. they could just leave. And it's really because of that psychological coercion and manipulation that the trafficker creates that makes it really complicated for the victim to um, separate themselves from that trafficker because of all those power and control dynamics that happen that are so very similar to domestic violence. And so is it like domestic violence where they're, once they are out of that situation, there is still a long road to healing? Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, I've been working in this field for over 15 years and I've met many, many survivors at all different stages of healing. And, you know, I have a really good friend who's a survivor who, you know, even in her 50s, she was, you know, this person was trafficked when she, when they were in high school and they still have moments of tr- trauma triggering and moments that they need to like go and, and do some healing. And it's just a really long, long term journey. Yeah, it is. It is so scary, especially when you brought up things like dating apps. And yes. I mean, dating apps is kind of the way people meet and date these days. And yet I had not heard that, that there's a vulnerability in that area. Absolutely. I am also uh, someone who uses dating apps and, you know, tries to meet people that way. And it makes me actually a little hesitant. Yeah, I bet. Uh, given my, my work. 
uh, to use dating apps just because I know that they are used by traffickers and they use uh, any kind of application like a dating app that has a communication component to it, like, you know, the direct messaging kind of Mm -hmm. component to really fill someone out and pick up those vulnerabilities of that person through casual conversation. Have you learned any tips to help protect yourself or as, as men and as women protect yourself from these people online? Yeah, it's really hard because traffickers are so good at what they do. They're so good at manipulation. Um, but I certainly have like my own protection things when I go on a first date with someone that I meet from a dating app. You know, I have a friend who knows exactly where I'm going, knows the, you know, knows the name of the person that I'm meeting. Like I've sent her that person a picture. Yep. And I also designate like a time frame. Like I'm going to go to coffee with this person. And if you don't hear from me within two hours, yep. call the police or like yep. whatever it is or send me a text and yep. check in with me. Um, so I have those precautions that I always take. Um, just as added protection. And so yeah. I have a designated, you know, dating buddy that is has my back and knows all the details and information of where I am and who I'm meeting if anything happens. And that really, really makes me feel a lot safer. No, I would agree. When I was uh, when I was single and dating, I did the same thing because it really is scary. You don't know who's out there. And it was for me, I never even thought about it being human trafficking. That's what's so scary. I know, I know. And that is just an extra layer that people have to be aware of and, you know, in my in my job, I, I am aware of those things. And I know uh, law enforcement are using dating apps to look for traffickers and they are. And so it's something that's just part of my daily life to be aware of. And I hope other people are aware of that as well. Well, and I think, it, yeah, I'm, I'm glad you said something. I think it is good for people to be aware. You know, we talked about all the different misperceptions about our, our misconceptions about human trafficking. Uh, how has that maybe hindered the fight against human trafficking here in Colorado, having some of those things out there? Yeah, it certainly makes a difference on what people see and don't see. So, you know, at the end of the day, when we're thinking about raising awareness about human trafficking, we're thinking about the juror. You know, we want to have traffickers behind bars. And the way to do that is to have jurors really understand these dynamics. And so if they have these misperceptions, like, you know, victims can just leave on their own and why not? And they have been a victim on the stand saying that they, they have their own cell phone and they're able to walk about when they want to, then they're not as believable. You know, mm. there's no perfect victim of trafficking. Right. And, um, you know, they're complicated people that have complicated histories. And so it's really important to have people understand that. And then also, most people only believe that there's sex trafficking out there. When they're hearing a labor trafficking case being presented to them uh, as a juror, then like they'd have a really hard time believing that that could possibly happen because they have no understanding of it or frame of reference. And especially when we see lots of the big blockbuster movies, uh, document trafficking to be this very over-sensationalized depiction. Right. And if that's your frame of reference, then it makes it really difficult for people to understand that it's a lot more nuanced and complicated. Yeah, that's a really good point. Uh, And is that why the council's doing a public awareness campaign right now? Absolutely. We, four years ago, we put out a survey to Colorado residents to try to understand what perceptions, knowledge, and action they would take to address human trafficking. And that really helped us understand what Coloradans know about trafficking and how we should uh, create a public awareness campaign specifically for our state. And our communication goals all came from that research that we wanted to increase awareness about all types of human trafficking. So that's something that really came out of that research 
that people knew a slice of human trafficking. Mm -hmm. They knew like one component, but not the whole pie. And so we wanted to make sure that people really understood that. And they also didn't believe that it was happening in their community. So that was another big component that we wanted to achieve is that human trafficking is happening in your community and you should be aware of it and be the eyes and ears. And then we really wanted to ignite public confidence for people to take action to address this crime in our state. Yeah, I was going to say, if somebody feels like maybe they're witnessing it, um, what do they need to do? Yes. So if you have any inclination, even if it's just like a gut feeling or your spidey sense are going up, please call the Colorado's Human Trafficking Hotline. You can report a situation anonymously. They're available 24-7. And that number is 866-455-5075. And I'll say that one more time, 866-455-5075. And there are human trafficking hotline advocates on the other line that can help uh, cipher through the information that you have about a potential situation. Right. It's and, really important to report anything. All right. And and do you remain anonymous throughout this? Yes, you could absolutely remain anonymous through the whole entire process. It is not a direct line to law enforcement unless there's a necessary need to bring law enforcement in. So mm-hmm. I always say that to potential victims who maybe are afraid to come out and self-report. So this is a place where you could be anonymous. You don't have to bring in law enforcement um, unless you choose to. And it's really important to know that information. Right. And then what is the website for folks who want to get more information about this? Yeah, if you're wanting to learn more about human trafficking, please visit our campaign website, which is thisishumantrafficking.com. And what kind of information do you have there? We have information about the various types of human trafficking. So we really took an approach to have lived experience narratives that document and explain the different types of human trafficking. And these are all based on their composites of real life stories from survivors who we worked with on this campaign so people could have a sense of what this really looks like mm-hmm. um, without overly sensationalizing the issue. And once again, that website is thisishumantrafficking.com. And if you suspect something is happening to someone or maybe even yourself, once again, you can anonymously call. Let's give them a number one more time, Maria. 866 455 Maria Trujillo with the Colorado Human Trafficking Council. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm Melissa Moore. Thanks for spending your Sunday morning with me. I sure appreciate it. For more information on human trafficking, you can get this podcast and share it on your social media account by going to the radio station's website. We'll have links there as well. Go out, have a great Sunday, be blessed, and remember to be kind to everyone.